Uncle Jimmy's daughter, Frances Peters Little, is an historian, filmmaker and musician. She's publishing a forthcoming book on her father titled Jimmy Little, A Yorta Yorta Man. Frances, can you tell us where you grew up and what shaped your worldview? Well, I grew up around Balmain. I went to school there. When I was born, I actually, the first place we lived was in Redfern at top of Lawson Street there, just right next to the railway station. And then we moved to Balmain and, yeah, that's where I spent most of my life growing up. But it's funny enough, it was mostly people in music, people who were singers or bands who really inspired me because I was more interested in music than anything else. Probably not surprising given your family, but just from your perspective, what are your fondest memories of your dad? My fondest memories of my dad. Look, I was one of those really lucky to have a a great dad. I was an only child and he spoiled me rotten. Mum was a disciplinary person in the family. I think because my fondest memories of growing up that I missed a lot of school and I grew up with mum and dad being on the road, you know, New South Wales and Queensland and parts of Victoria. So I grew up traveling on the road with my parents from town to town we'd get to a town and then we'd just you know unpack the gear at the town hall or the club or something and and I'd be backstage you know so I can sleep through anything these days um they put a little bed for me out the back or something the next day we'd pack up and go on we lived and moved around the country meeting a lot of different peoples, playing music. It was just extraordinary time in the 1960s of being any artist, though, musical artist, that was just exciting times. And, and I loved those days and I didn't get much school, but, you know, hey, I don't think I missed it. Well, I will just point out that you have uh, you have trained as an historian and you're a very accomplished filmmaker, so you obviously made up that time. What made you decide to write a biography of your father? That was really funny. The, the whole idea of me writing uh, my father's biography was definitely not my idea. I didn't want to do it. It was a time when it was just after Dad did Messenger album and People were asking about Dad doing a biography because there's never been one written before. So my parents discussed it. They told me. They said, we want you to write it. I said, no. I tried to find writers all over the place. I didn't think I was capable of doing it, you know. I was really terrified in a way that I wouldn't live up to the task. The thing was my parents insisted and insisted and I couldn't find anybody who would be the biographer. And so I thought, oh, well, my parents wore me down. And so that's what happened. I ended up writing it. What was your father's childhood like? Dad grew up in a really difficult time in the 30s. He was born on Kamragunja Mission. And the year he was born was the year that they had that particular mission manager who McQuigan who um, is now famous for the way that he treated the Aboriginal people on Kamragunja mission and how the people at Kamra went on a strike because of the conditions that uh, they had to live on 
uh, on Kamragunja Mission. The other part of my father's childhood was that his parents were both Bordevillians. So, you know, he went around watching his parents being musical and performing. But it wasn't always easy because they lived an itinerant lifestyle. They were always chasing where the work was, whether it was fruit picking or timber yards and or, you know, occasionally just doing anything where they'd find a little bit of work here and there and selling things that they'd made, like boomerangs and stuff. And, you know, so it was really tough. It was really tough. And it's the way that I think that really hard time in the 30s in Australia for all Aboriginal people, including my dad and his family, it's amazing that they came out of it positive and determined. Of course, one of the things that's wonderful about your father's story is not just obviously his success as a musician, but this feels like there's a wonderful love story in his life. How did he meet your mum and what was their relationship like? What was she like? Oh, my mum had a very different lifestyle to my dad growing up. She grew up in northwest New South Wales around Lightning Ridge and then Walgett. And her father worked on a station and her mother was a domestic in the town. But she came from a big family and they all stuck together remarkably because those days people were still early days of running around taking kids. And so when she moved to Sydney in the 50s and my dad moved to Sydney from the South Coast in the 50s, it was really a time of when government policies were all about assimilation for Aboriginal people to make them fit in. And so they'd moved to the city independently and there was a really huge uh, Aboriginal community that already existed in Sydney in the 50s and a lot of people came down from the country town and they there used to be football teams like the Redfern All Blacks, the Laparoos. There were always these dances that they put on, like barn dances that were Aboriginal performers. And so it was one of those times when there was a barn dance on at the Waterloo Town Hall and to change the partners and everything. And so, but he spotted my mother from the get-go. And when it was her turn to come around in the barn dance, he tried to be, you know, really cool and everything. And he knew then he was smitten. And he said to me, he said, look, I even loved her name. She had the most beautiful name, Marjorie Peters. So, you know, my mum said to him at that time, the first word she said to him was, uh, you're going to sing tonight. And he says, oh, yeah. She said, can I request a song? And he said, oh, yes. Um, what is it? She said, could you sing Rosemary? And he said, well, I might. <laughs> <laughs> How did the, his success as a musician start to change the life of your family? A lot of people know the part about my father is in the 60s with the hit Royal Telephone, but he had success earlier than that. He was 16 years old. He'd come up and get on the radio. He won a, came second, sorry, in a talent quest. He appeared at different things even as a teenager. He wasn't going to see his father, never held him back. He just 
said, yes, it's all out there, son, go get it. And so he was always achieving and people noticed his talent from a very young age. And so he had hits on the radio station like Danny Boy and El Paso and this is in the late 50s, early 60s, long before Royal Telephone came along. He got a lot of work. He's on television and all sorts of things. So his success was something that he just grew leaps and bounds and he just kept going with it. And both my parents, though, were pretty level-headed. They didn't really see themselves as being famous or any of that sort of stuff. That's how it affected him. And when I grew up with it, I just thought it was normal. It was anything different. I was going to ask you about that because I assumed it did feel normal and you talked about the moving around. It was great fun. When did you realise that your dad was actually quite a big deal? Oh, that's a really good question because I never really thought he was a big deal at all. <laughs> um, I, knew, I knew other members of the family did, but I thought that's crazy. He was just dad. It was really important, I think, for my parents to not get overblown, you know, big-headed about anything. So that's, I suppose, why I didn't really think about it as a big deal. So what everybody went on television didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered if you could share with us a little bit about the community work you did. As you say, people know Jimmy Little from his music, from his iconic songs, but he was very committed to giving back to the community. I wonder if you could share a little bit about the things that were close to his heart in relation to that. I think a part of what I address in the book is about the misconception that people had about my father as being somebody who just sang and didn't really care very much for the community. From the beginning of uh, his career, he was always involved in charities and things like that, that uh, not just Aboriginal charities like children, homeless, all that sort of thing. He was very involved in those sorts of things of go out and perform to raise funds for them and things. And that just continued, of course. He was much involved with the foundation of Aboriginal affairs in the 60s which was people like Charlie Perkins and Chicka Dixon and a lot of really important people that were on the on board there and running the foundation's um, music concerts on the, on the weekend and even a cafe when the foundation opened a cafe. Um, Dad'd be down there serving milkshakes to people who come in and stuff. So... But there were other things too. I mean, it was like the 1967 referendum. My father was involved with the people of that time going out there and trying to... It was because the 67 referendum movement, it was about trying to show Aboriginal people as equal and Aboriginal people as able and successful and stuff like that. He really got involved with those sorts of things with people like Faith Bandler. And I'm just trying to think of Pauline Clegg's mother. Joyce. Yeah, Joyce Clegg. And they went out and, you know, wherever they could to sort of raise the profile of positive images of Aboriginal people. And then following from that, 
He always went to these different events and showed his support, even with the football, the first Koori knockout, the dad got behind and sponsored the Koori United football team and they took out the grand final in the first one, I think. I think they did. And they're just always on committees and boards and all sorts of things. But he always asked by the media. He was always invited to speak on television or radio about Indigenous issues. He never shied away from those things. He gave his own view on those things. Dad always knew that there was something really amazing about Aboriginal people that knew that we had a charm and a goodness and talent and he always promoted that and so when people thought that he wasn't political enough it all depends what you think by the word political he wasn't out there marching and flying flags but he was doing a lot of other stuff and because of his nature as a quiet gentle person he didn't blow his own horn on that. Well, it's wonderful to have your insights into him in a book that will allow us as readers to appreciate him as a much more well-rounded, thoughtful, engaged person. Is that your hope that audiences will start to see him differently? Well, I think even towards the end, my father ran a foundation he was involved very much in promoting healthy living for Aboriginal people, travelled everywhere in communities all over the country, talking about Aboriginal people and health and promoting the art because he had to go on dialysis there for a while, that there was life after dialysis because so many Aboriginal people die of kidney failure. It's really important, I think, to me. It wouldn't have been so much important to mum or dad that people get over that stuff about Jimmy Little didn't care about his community. That's a lot of rubbish. Just finally, was there ever any piece of advice or something he said to you that you've held really closely? I think what stuck out for me was that my parents really, he believed to be about being independent. He said it'll cost you a lot, but being independent is worth it. That's pretty much what I think I've tried to do. I'm not a very good party politics person. I'm not a very good party person, full stop. I think that that's what he went through. It was about you had to be independent. He had his eyes on the prize, moving forward, reaching his dreams, and that's the message I think he wanted to put out there for me and, and others. It's wonderful and it's all captured in your book. Francis, thank you so much for coming on, speaking out and sharing those wonderful reflections on your dad and giving us a bit of an insight into what's in the new book. Thank you, Larissa. Historian, filmmaker and musician Francis Peters Little. Her forthcoming book, Jimmy Little, A Yorta Yorta Man, is published by Hardy Grant. I was born on the banks of the Murray Yorta Yorta is my mother's tribal stand I'm her son, but my father's name I carry 
As I walk through this great and ancient land My father taught me all the things I needed Like identity and dignity with love From his southern tribal coastal ways of living Wallaga Lake and Gulagoon Mountain high above I'm a Curry and I come from Cumbregundra Where my people and my dreaming all begin Someday I know I will be returning Like the legend of my tribal My tribal ways are strong and not forgotten And though my city ways of living Well, they may be grand But you know, I could pack it up Yes, and leave it all tomorrow And go back to my Yorta, Yorta clan The nature of the bush in all its beauty Gives me strength in my will to understand That no matter where I go My river people Will be waiting for this Yorta, Yorta man I'm a Kuri and I come from Cumberbunder Where my people and my dreaming all begin Someday I know I will be returning Like the legend of my tribal Like the legend of my tribal boomerang Like the legend of my tribal That's legendary Aboriginal singer-songwriter Uncle Jimmy Little with Yorta Yorta Man. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.